Do you come to Milwaukee often? You have a bubbler in here or no? No, I wasn't drinking. I only had beer. I already ate my veggies today. I had a Bloody Mary for breakfast. Comes with a built-in brown holder. good as any i mean we might as well get going then on the real on the real right. one i'm just gonna keep going on this right. welcome to miltaki everybody as she just said i am your host bruce didiet benjamin with me i have two wonderful guests today and gonna be the new uh, voice of miltaki or at least maybe in the intro we'll see i gotta actually gotta finish that down. but we have a purbuck here the amazing the awesome uh what are some other a words that describe you i always do alliteration for my guests i have used in the past adorable adorable Adorkable. Adorkable. Adventurous. Yes. Uh, adventurous. Okay. And yes. for Cooper, we have the, uh, this is the first non-human guest on Miltaki. We have the crazy, the crumptious, the, I don't even know if that starts with a C or if that's even a real word. What else starts with a C? Cuddly. Cuddly. Very cuddly. Very cuddly. Although his cuddles turn to humps real yes. quick. He's all love. It is love. It is love. It is but it is love. sexual love to my face sometimes because he likes sexual. humping my neck a lot. But we got the Cooper, uh, the Boston Terrier, uh, first non-human guest. So welcome to the show, Coop. Bark, bark. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, good, good job, Coop. Anyway, so we got a wonderful show today. We have three topics for you. We got a little fun one. We got a little insight. And we got a little serious one. We got, we're got we going to do a, a Wisconsin insider versus outsider. So this is where... Uh, I've been curious about this for a long time. I want to figure out what Wisconsin and Milwaukee's brand is. is, And I want to debate it whether that's from the insider's perspective. And a perfect is not from here. So that's what I want to talk about. We're going to talk about immigration a little bit. Uh, a perba has a pretty interesting story. And uh, we're just going to talk about a lot of generalities about that. But that's going to be the general topic. And then the third one is something I have no idea how this is going to go. And if it's fun, maybe we'll do that. This will be an ongoing segment. I'm calling it Bark Take. Because it's Shark Tank. I'm going to be pitching you ideas, but they're really stupid. And Aperba here, uh, her specialty field is such a fun field. How about you tell the guests what your uh, what your background is? So why I'm having you specifically for this topic. So my background is in polymer fiber and textile science. That's what my PhD is in. I spent 10 years, goddamn, 10 years that is crazy. studying textiles, fibers, yarns, everything that you can think of um, when you, right from, and also plastics actually. So 
Um, that's why I think we're doing Bark Tank because yes. we want to see um, what ideas you've cooked up. I'm going to be asking you a lot of my stupid ideas or the over the years or cool things I've heard of, and you're telling me if they're possible, they could be possible someday, or if this is just a pipe dream. And some of these make zero sense. Also, side story for Aperba, just so, so you know how much she knows materials. There's one time we were downtown, we were walking around, we walked by this fire station, and she gets into it with this firefighter just talking about the, the coats that he wears and, like, the materials and all that stuff for a good, like, 20 minutes, just talking about, like, the fire resistance of her coat and going over, like, the codes and stuff. He was definitely, like, caught off guard that nobody ever has asked him about that thing, and, and you were just, you knew ever you knew more about his coat than he did, so... Yeah, that yeah. was that was pretty awesome to actually hear the human side of the science. So well, I'm always interested in that. I had never really that is what got me thinking about this topic because my dad was a firefighter for almost 30 years and I never thought about the actual stuff that protected him that much. And I've worn those. I mean, I've been in fires. I was a volunteer firefighter for a thing and I never really thought about it. So, that's the game. Do you want to start with the heavy, the immigration? I don't even know if that's going to be heavy. The the brand one, or do you want to do? Should we say bark tank for the end? I was thinking bark tank in the end. Let's start with the medium, go to the heavy, and gotcha. then okay. just break loose. All right. So this is what got me starting about this is when I used to work for a developer, we would bring in people from out of town all the time, and nobody knows anything about Milwaukee, like. Unless you're from here, and not even, like, if you're not from Milwaukee, but in Wisconsin, I think people from Madison and Northwest Wisconsin have, like, a totally wrong perception of Milwaukee, too. So it's weird, because there's, like, I feel like four or five different levels of brand that I always think of. And there's the people in Wisconsin, whether we're talking about just Wisconsin or Milwaukee, because well, they're two very different things, because the, the state hates Milwaukee. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like we're not, like, a united front, uh, historically politicians and stuff. I think it's changing a little bit, but, like, Milwaukee doesn't get love from the rest of the state. So I think that what I learned over those years was a, how little people know about the city and state in general. Uh, and B, what they do know is the three things I always heard was beer, brats and cheese, which is not a bad thing to have as a brand, but it is the only thing I ever heard consistently. So first thing I want to ask is before you moved to Milwaukee, what, or in Wisconsin in general, what did you know about it or, or here or perception in general? To be very honest. Yes, brutally. I want this needs to be brutally honest. If you just think fat white people, that's fine. No, I don't think I'd heard that part. That I heard about America, but Yeah, I mean it's not wrong, by which, the way. <laughs> um, but I think about Wisconsin, the only thing I knew was Madison. And before actually moving here full fledged, I'd only visited Dodgeville to go meet with uh, some of our potential clients in Land's End. So I know that it snowed here a lot. We almost hydroplaned into a snowbank, drove to Dodgeville, stayed the night after the meeting in Madison, and then flew out. So I had heard of Madison and that's it. That is that is all that I've heard of Wisconsin. So what did you hear of Madison, though? What did people... So just, just so everyone knows, she came here from Athens, Georgia. And then prior to that, did you go from India to Athens? And then Athens to Milwaukee? I went from India to Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. And then from Fort Collins, Colorado, I went to Athens, Georgia, Athens, Georgia, to Atlanta, Georgia, then Atlanta, Georgia, to Brookfield, Wisconsin. So when you're saying you you heard Madison, you're talking about... These are some Georgians telling you about... 
Madison. What did they say? So this was basically the international student community talking about UW Madison. Oh, this is even better. I didn't even yeah. think about the international community. Okay, right. What were they saying? Well, they were just saying that this is a good school for X, Y, and Z um, streams. So that is what I'd heard. And then I'd heard um, a friend of mine who was moving to Madison because he got she got married to a guy who worked for UW Madison. And I was so sad that she was leaving. And I was like, what are you going to do in Madison? Where is even Madison? Like, you should be here in Georgia. Like, just because you got married, you have to move with him now? Like, why can't he move to Georgia? Such such a better state, obviously. What is even Madison? Where is even Madison? So, that was it. So, then you dipped your toe in Dodgeville, which is an interesting first place to go. Not far outside of Madison. And then you move here to Milwaukee, not far after. So, what are people... When you're packing up and you're telling your friends and stuff that you met in Georgia that you're moving to Milwaukee, what are they saying? They told me to show it on a map. They were like, where is it? Wisconsin or Milwaukee? Milwaukee. Okay. Um, It was very, uh, very bizarre because I don't remember applying to the job that I currently have. I don't like applied what to just 40 odd jobs because I don't think I was ever like even thinking of getting a job i was just passively applying and then a headhunter from the company was like hey you you want to basically interview with us and i was like what which company are you where where are you and then i had to quickly look up everything about this company in the next three minutes to be able to sound knowledgeable about the job but i had completely forgotten that i had applied to this state to this city and to that company so it was kind of i mean like your last two years have just been kind of a curveball thrown and you just moved to wisconsin knowing nothing about it and now that you've been here knowing nothing about it what is your perception of wisconsin now or milwaukee oh it's wonderful it's the best kept secret of america like (laughs) yeah you hear that america nobody move here please nobody it's it's awful it's like cold and it's hot and we are fat please don't move. there we go yeah stay in la stay in new york keep traffic out there go to chicago if you gotta come to milwaukee oh god yes please go to chicago yeah the traffic is the best thing about milwaukee it's one of my favorite things (laughs) all right well that's good to hear you know that's the thing I, i always heard this when i was a developer the, the three things I heard, or four actually, so brats, beer, cheese, and then it's kind of beer times two because I was just going to say alcohol in general. Like, not only do they drink beer, but they fucking know how to drink beer and the amount of beer that they drink. Uh, have I ever told you my, my buddy's Daytona Beach story? You have to tell that. Okay. So I, was, I went to college with a guy who, long story short, he went down to Daytona Beach and... <laughs> They were signing up for like a beer Olympics or like a whatever those bar Olympics are or whatever. And when they found out when, you know, he was giving his ID and stuff, when they found out that they were from Wisconsin, they were like, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, you're not allowed to play in this. We actually have a standing rule. And they like showed him a sign on the wall. And it was like literally they were, they were like, well, you guys always win. It's not fair. So they had a standing rule that people from Wisconsin couldn't drink, which I was always like. When I was 21, I remember we heard that story. It was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. It's so funny and all that stuff. Like, now that I'm 33, I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, the state has, like, a crippling problem. Like, it's – bar culture is awesome a lot of the times, but it is also, like, we may have gone way too far. <laughs> There's a middle ground maybe that we got to work on, but I still like it overall. Yeah, I like it too. It's very social. People are very chatty. There's a different – they always keep talking about Southern hospitality. I think – 
there are flavors to it. There, there's of course the Southern hospitality, but there's also the Midwestern hospitality. Oh, yeah, West polite. Uh, oh, they're polite. They are very chatty. I think I know more about my neighbor's life and family members than I know about my own family's whereabouts. Oh yeah. Speaking of Midwest, I just went, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, I always wondered growing up, my dad would go to the grocery store and he'd be gone for two fucking hours. And then I started going with him and he just talks to everybody and everybody talks to him. And now that I'm like a 33 year old man, I find myself doing it. I'm like, oh, God, is it just in my genes? Is this just a Wisconsin, like German Polish thing? I don't even know. But yeah, you just, oh, it's the weather there. How you doing? I, and you just talk to fucking everybody. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, what what else? Uh, what do you think of? What do you think Milwaukee should strive for? Like, what do you think the brand that they should strive for? Do you think that they're happy about? I mean, if if you're a city planner, if you're on the economic council of Milwaukee, do you think that uh, embracing beer, cheese, and brats is good? Do you think you should try to diversify this? You know, be a little more whatever. Is is it a good enough brand that we should stick with it? I think it's a good enough brand because. That is who you are. That's your core. Stick to it, but add flavors to it. I think beer, brat, cheese, and alcohol are parts of a lot of other cultures. So cheese all around the world is treated differently. So I don't know, like we have paneer. So I can see a lot of different things that a city planner can do where it's like hey yes you come for beer brats cheese but you also come for how cosmopolitan the city is you can find beer brats cheese and alcohol in all different flavors if you want fusion if you want like something from the far east or if you want something you know from south america like i think it's a great um brand all we need to do is add that diversity factor to it because Milwaukee is diverse. Mm-hmm. And um, why not show off what you got? Well, and that, that's a good point. I think that it's uh, if you could showcase the art and the culture and the multicultural nature and just kind of add that, hey, at all of these things, you can get beer, beef, <laughs> brats, and cheese. You know, you go to, uh, what is it, the Pride Fest or Spanish Fest or German Fest or any of the fest, Summer Fest. I mean, it's just. Very, a lot of culture, a lot of art, and all that good stuff that you said. The alcohol, the food, the everything. Maybe we're not the healthiest city, but we are a pretty fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't think of any cuisine that has not been attempted at in this city. Or neighboring suburbs, or even like up north, wherever. And I don't think y'all talk about your supper clubs enough. No, we don't. That stuff is exquisite. Food in general, I, this is my thing about Culver's, my, my rant that is almost as unpopular as the uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum take that Amanda Nokata made. But, and again, can't stress this enough to any Wisconsinites who are about to hunt me down and, and behead me for, for treason. But uh, I'm not saying Culver's is terrible, but the fact that it's turned into the go-to like representation of the food of Wisconsin is doing us a net service because I don't think anyone that when they think of Milwaukee or Madison or any of these places think food, like good restaurants, diverse multicultural restaurants. And it's a shame because our brats, cheese and all that stuff's great. I love deep fried cheese curds, all that stuff, but we have a lot more. Can we talk about how beautiful the state in general is like the natural resources that y'all have? 
you have exquisite state parks, which I am on a absolute like craze to try and see each one of them. Uh, you do have a lot of different types of land elevation because there's like the Driftless area that does not have, it wasn't touched by glaciers. So you have all those really windy up and down roads. You have beautiful scenic overlooks. And then you have Lake Michigan that is quite literally got the blue crystal water. It is, it, it is the thing I, when I was working as a developer that made me laugh more than anything because nobody knew anything about Milwaukee or the geography or where it was. Milwaukee is an ocean city without having an ocean. It's the, it's the best part about it. Because Lake Michigan looks 90% like an ocean. You can not see across it except on the clearest of days. It, it, it feels like an ocean, but it's not. And the amount of times we picked up somebody from New York or LA or Austin or whatever, and we were driving them from the airport coming down Lakeshore, and I could see the gears in their head looking out, and they're like, wait, where the fuck am I? Like, am I on the East Coast right now? And then the other, the other thing that always caught me off guard was nobody realized how close we were to Chicago. Nobody knows that, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we're only an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's not that far. And people were like, people thought we were six, eight hours away. And I'm like, do you think we're like near Canada or something? Like, I just, it, it, it always blows my mind. Yeah. And then we can surf here. I know. This you know, Sheboygan calls itself the Malibu of the Midwest, which, all right, calm down, Sheboygan. I love Sheboygan, but calm the fuck down. You ain't Malibu. But you can surf there. You can surf here. Yeah. And, I mean, whitewater rafting. Mm -hmm. What have you not got here that you have to go? I can tell you. The oh. biggest shame. Oh. These fucking glaciers flattened our state. We got some decent hills. But with our weather, we need it. We need one good mountain, and we don't have it. We, we have Tim's Hill. We have, we have okay devils. ones. We have Devil's Head. There's Cascade. There's a couple ones. Those are Those are technically mountains. They're not mountains. You go out to fucking Wyoming, Montana, and you go skiing out there. It takes you a half an hour to go down those things. We have the snow. We have all the, the perfect winter weather stuff. If we just had a couple more hills, a couple more mountains. I just want one mountain in the center of the state. One freaking big like mountain. Mount Hood. Yes, like yes, exactly. That's what I want. That's the <laughs> one thing we're lacking. That's why we have the rest of America. It's true. I mean, That's true. Yeah. Well, hopefully we had some trains coming in here soon. We would have fucking had them now if it wasn't for Scott, Scott Walker's. God uh, damn it. That still gets me mad. All right. We're going to leave it on that. I think anytime we leave with uh, fuck Scott Walker, I'm, I'm good with that. So <laughs> they have spread around 20. So we will be taking a breath. And do you have any parting thoughts on what Milwaukee should strive for brand wise? I think be proud of what you have. I think you're not... Um, I know you're definitely Milwaukee proud, but don't be afraid of showing off what you have. I think a lot of people um, have it are, get in their heads and they're like, oh, you know, we want to get away from a certain thing. And um, the other part also was, and this could, I guess, lead into the heavy part is, I know I've heard that Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities. And yes, it's that, but show off what you're doing to normalize, like to, to bring people together. Because I think I've seen a lot of positive things here, which don't get talked about. So I think they need to make efforts shown that yes, they're trying to break away from that segregation and they're doing a lot of good stuff in the community. 
I do think that Milwaukee has a very uh, younger brother syndrome with like Chicago and Madison where they're like, no, we're, we're pretty cool too. And like, they've just been like looked down upon by Chicago and Madison for so long. And now they're, I think proud is a good way to put it. And the fourth brand that I, I was going to bring this up earlier, the, the, what people think the fourth one's racism. And I, I was like, I didn't want to bring it up because that's a whole different segment in its own. And we're going to do a, a whole segment of that someday. I just, it, it's too complicated a conversation to, have as one segment of this topic, but I do agree with you. That is, and Milwaukee's history is complicated. It's fucked up. There's highs and lows. There's would have, could have, should have. And you know, it's one of, it's just one of those cities, but I do, I think it's trending the white right way. We'll put it that way. I think there's a lot of cities that you look at the, the, the future and I don't see great things ahead. I think Milwaukee's not trending up. Absolutely. I agree with your, thought where I think in your first episode you said that we're not perfect we're not there yet but we've definitely come a long way away from the Jim Crow era and yes I mean there is still racism in this country but it's not that bad like we have to recognize how far we've come well it's I think the best way to put it is it's not to say that it's not that bad. It's just that it's better. And those are two different things. You, you can say something is better. That doesn't mean it's good. good. You can go from an F to a C minus, and that's improvement. Still have a way to go. You're not going, you're not on the Dean's list. You're not getting, you know, C minus is, is C's get degrees. You're barely passing. You are at bare minimum. It's better than fucking failing out of school. Right. So it's an improvement, but that doesn't, doesn't mean it's good. But so there's a long way to go, but we, I, I just have always thought it does disservice to not give credit to the people who have made progress. And I think it's kind of borderline disrespectful in a way. And we do it a lot where we say it's the worst it's ever been. And that's just not true. And it's kind of unfair to a lot of people because when you say that, it makes people who are against progress be like, see, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. And it does a disservice to continuing progress when you're just like, it's the worst it's ever been. Right. It's more complicated now. The internet has complicated everything, but it is, you know. Yeah. We are not a country that has a chop-chop square. So yes. let's recognize some of the things. I think it's a very narrow vision when we say that, oh, things are worse now in America than before. I think if you look at the world in general, we definitely made a lot of progress. And that's what's attracting a lot of people to come here. There are gangs in Central America that are trying to execute people? I mean, the cart... I just read something. I think it's as of this year, maybe it's in the, since the last election or whatever. Mexico has 88 politicians that have been assassinated by the cartels. That's insane. That's insane. 88 of them. Wow. That's not like a... That's like an every couple day occurrence of just... And, they're, and the crazy thing is they're either getting killed by cartels or they're working for different cartels and the other cartel killed them because they're working for the wrong cartel. Like, it's it's fucked up, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, this is actually probably a good way to transition. We're going to take a quick break because we're getting into the uh, larger world. Let's talk about other parts of the world. All right, we'll be back. This isn't like going to be like a hard-breathing interview. I'm, just, I'm curious, like... like I, in the process of researching this and like coming up with questions and stuff, the thing that I came away with was how ignorant I was of the entire process and how I, I mean, like I know basics and I'd like to say I know more than 
some, I mean, not, sure. I don't know. I don't, I don't honestly don't know, but it made me realize how much I don't know. And with it being such a constant topic, I feel like it's one of those things that I don't know. I try to go out and learn this stuff. And if I don't know that much, that means like, I don't think most people know much about immigration. So let's talk to someone who's actually like done the process. Immigrated. Yeah. Immigrate. <laughs> I mean, like there's a lot of questions I have about like green cards or like the, pro- like when you were telling me the other day about how moving is such a, is a headache. It's something I hadn't thought about in a long time. Like I want to know more about the process. Like what are those headaches? Like, so let, let me, uh, let's just start with, can you give me the, the macro overview of, of where you were born? What's yeah. Oh yeah, I should do that. And we're back. No, nah, I'll, I'll I'll splice it up. Uh, give me the uh, give me the story of where you were born, how you, how you chose to go to Georgia, just your general experience when when you moved here, just the whole gist from from birth to here. From birth. To give birth. me your life story. Life story. Yes. Fifteen. And hours do it, later. and you have forty four seconds. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I was born in Calcutta, India, and then we. Our family in general was moving around a little bit because my dad's job, would, because he was in sales and marketing, they would put him in different parts of the country. So born in Calcutta, then immediately transported to New Delhi because um, that's where my parents like lived. They came to Calcutta for my mom's pregnancy and birth giving because that's where both the parents were there. And then from Delhi, age three, I moved to the south of India and that is um, a city called Sikhendrabad, which is in Andhra Pradesh. It's um, it's a really cool city, and it's got a ton of like really. It's got a ton of ports actually. So um, I enjoyed living there. After about six years of school, there we then moved. What 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 age are we talking, by the way? I think I was about ten years old when I moved to Mumbai. Okay. So from three to add six, so nine years old. So about 10 years is when I moved to Mumbai. And that's when my mom made my dad promise, like, you're not going to take a promotion or move anywhere until she's done with a a particular school level. Because every time we would move, um, the next school would kind of not really give me credit. I mean, I was fine, but it was a lot of adjusting. And we were coming up upon, like, some of those crucial school times where if you like move from one state to another you have to give some weird exam to get into that particular level and my mom was just sick and tired of moving too because we not only moved from state to state within the state we moved about four or five times too Uh, just looking for a better rent and then we bought an apartment so that's where I spent more time Uh, but yeah so I did my high school uh, my engineering school in Mumbai and I went to a university where I had about 150 peers in the same uh, class and about 99% of them go overseas for their higher education or just jobs in general, but usually they opt for higher education. So I've had uh, peers of mine go to New Zealand, Australia, uh, London. They, uh, some of them got into universities in South America and a lot of them came to the United States. By the way, just quick, quick sidetrack. What is the educational setup in India? Like here we have, you know, I guess what, first through eighth grade, high school. 
and then, you know, you choose whether you want to go to college or not. I remember when I was in Germany and, and, you know, we have the summers off and all that stuff. Like every country has their own system. Is yours a year round thing? Is it a, uh, do you have summers off? Is it a one through, is it your 12th grade? What's the, what's the setup? Is it a uni type situation when you get out? Right. So we have three boards of education in India and each of them are very similar to each other, but their curriculum is very different. One of them stresses more on literature and reading. One of them's more math and the other one's got somewhere in between. So it's got a good balance. So it's uh, ICSE, CBSE, and then state board. So state board is the one that every state has their own state education. And in that you have to learn the state language. So if, because we moved three times, if I took state okay. board, I would be learning three different languages. In ICSE and CBSE, you don't have to learn the state language as part of your schooling. And what are some of these state languages that you're talking about besides, I would assume Hindi would be one of them. Right. So Hindi, Marathi, Telugu, uh, Gujarati, Punjabi. So, I mean, we have a ton of languages, but these are the ones that I know because I went to school and I either had... You know, you're fluent in all of those? Right. Wow. I, okay. I knew you were fluent in Hindi. I didn't realize you were yes. fluent in so many subsets. Of because it. Okay. I had to uh, learn how to read, write, and speak. God, I need to get back on Duolingo. Duolingo. I'm such a late. I only know one. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think you go by with that one. That's a good one to know because it's an international language. I'm trying. I, I've gotten okay at the, uh, I'm on like the, the first level dawn of Spanish. I used to take German, which was fun at the time, but I kind of regret it now because you only use Germany or German in Germany. And that's not even true because everyone there speaks English. So I didn't, Darn. when I did my abroad, I didn't even speak. German there because oh, they all want to France because they, they pride in like speaking French to to the point to where us. they get really pissed off right. if you don't yes I know right. I was uh I wasn't the biggest fan of, I mean I, I enjoyed Paris a little bit but there was some uh yeah the food uh, that's uh, so overrated okay it's been my okay. biggest thing for a long time except the sandwiches great sandwiches you did like a building there because I remember I, I liked a lot of things yeah there's some cool shit because I remember you were like this is the best building in the world I'm like uh, the cinema walk. Give that <laughs> moniker to that one building. I think my my taste might be very different from a lot of folks because yes, I've I've had delightful times in like Cleveland and Detroit and stuff like that. Nobody seems to like those, but I love them. I love Colorado. So. <laughs> anyway, I don't know how we got to that. Oh, yeah. Colorado's lovely. Anyway, back to back to immigration. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you're in Mumbai, uh, or no wait, now you're in Mumbai teens. Um, well, teens and then. I left Mumbai when I was 22 to go to Fort Collins, Colorado. And is it like, uh, so in Germany, if I, if memory serves me, my, the, the host guy that I stayed with, basically they go through 12 years and you kind of get scores and you, you get kind of directed into various post-school stuff. Like if they think you're excelling in crafts or trades, you got to go to that. If you're a science-y type person, you go to that. So they kind of steer you. You have choice, but there's also steering and you can only, it's, it, you know, it's different than America. Is that kind of how it is in India? It is. You have to give after your 12th grade, you have to give, well, actually after 10th grade, you have to give a certain um, different, they call it competitive exams. And uh, at 10th grade, that gives you entry into a stream that will then funnel into your four-year degree in undergrad hmm. so at 10th grade i gave a particular exam that then depending on the high scores that i got i got i got into a science 
university for 11th and 12th grade. So in India, you can either do 11th and 12th grade in your school. And by the way, we don't go to different schools. Like there's no elementary school, middle school, high school. You can spend 10 to 12 years in one building. I kind of like that though. That's like consistency. And you literally, your teachers will see you go from shorts to like full pants. <laughs> like, yeah. I did I did first through eighth grade at the same building. So okay. close, close. Yeah. But yeah, no, most people I know, I think it was uh, first through around. fourth, fifth yeah. and sixth, intermediate, mm-hmm. sixth through eighth, and then high school. And we also sit in one class and the teacher comes to us. So that's, I think is different where you oh, all yeah. go to class. Oh, yeah. yeah. We don't have the, oh, you have to have your locker because you just stay on your bench all day. A lot of this sounds better. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> all right. So so you you move at 22 to, to Georgia. Fort Collins, Colorado. Fort, sorry, Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, how does this whole process start in terms of, A, why did you pick Fort Collins? B, can you just give me a little bit about, like, the hoops you got to go through to start from scratch, that from just taking the first step into the immigration process? So Fort Collins, Colorado, because Colorado State, when I – was one of the eight schools I applied to and was the only one that offered a full ride. So I already had an admission um, into one of the uh, programs in IIT, which is India's MIT. So I already had a master's admission into that university um, just as a, like, can I do it? Um, With very little support from my parents because they were like, oh, she's, She's going to give the GRE TOEFL and then she's going to probably get some scores. And obviously she's not going to leave to go to another country because we like none of them have studied abroad. And none of my my whole entire family has never probably been to America. Like I can it's only me and my parents who've been to America, even to visit. So they were like, OK, yeah, let's just, you know, see where it goes. We'll support her as much as possible. We'll, of course, they paid for GRE took up classes for the actual exam, took me to the exam center. All that support was there. It's just they were like, let her live her dream and see, you know, I, we don't want her to regret that we didn't let her do something. So um, I gave all the exams and got a particular score. Score was good enough, applied to eight universities. Of course, my dad footed all that. And because um, we don't work when we're in India, like, no. I mean, I say that with a very narrow vision, but I think the 150 peers of mine, we didn't have like a college job. Like that's not a thing. You focus on your learning. All that's all you do. So probably not the worst again, idea. <laughs> yeah, because parents pay for, yeah. and the university I went to was a um, public university, which is very difficult to get into because the tuition money is stupid low. It's like. My dad paid more for my kindergarten than he paid for my four years of engineering. Yeah, see, here in America, you gotta ruin. You have to like be so much in debt after you come out of school. You you are you have a horrible. Yeah. Uh, what's the word? The opposite of a head start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's called freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we um, in India, if you do have to take educational loans, I think they only give it to the parents. I don't think they trust an 18-year-old. I was just about to say, and they shouldn't, nor should they in this country. No 18-year-old should be able to, without a parent, sign up for a $100,000 loan. I don't think you should be able to do it until like 25, but that's for another topic. Let's get back to it. Okay, so what is the process like? Is this a uh, 
So the only point of reference I really have is like when I've say gotten my passport or something like this, is this a, a year process? Is this a six month process? Is this just like filling out some forms? Do they come and interview you? Like, how does this work? So once you get an admission, the admission, the immigration office in the university will give you a letter saying that, hey, we're inviting her to do her master's here. And then with the letter, you start to apply. Uh, yes, you get a an appointment. Yes, you go and meet with a counselor. Basically, it's like a window appointment. Like they'll ask you certain questions like, why are you going to America? What are your intentions? Like, like a standard job <laughs> interview almost. <laughs> yeah, I actually had, uh, I will not lie, I had a good um, easy go at it because I was doing textiles. So they're like, oh, she's not going to make a bomb. That's perfect. Like she'll dress us up. It'll be fashionable. It'll be cool. You know, it's fine. She can come to the country. I did they, did they ask you about any bark, uh, bark tank ideas about your textile stuff? Is that, is that something they <laughs> no, asked during that process? I think okay. the counselor just was surprised. Like, so what is textiles? Like, what oh, do you sew? Like what's going? So they were interested in knowing, like, are we getting like people who are seamstresses from India? Like what's going on? So I had to explain like what I did and like, you know, I'm, I'm dying clothes and I'm printing on them, all that good stuff. So, um, the, my other peers who were in chemical engineering had a really hard time because there are certain degrees that are red uh, tape, like, you know, they're, um, they had, they got extra forms and they had to wait extra long, which means they had to miss that year's like admission. So mm-hmm. they had to reapply all that bad stuff. But, um, yeah, my interview was brutal. very easy. Yeah. Especially being invited. You, you only get so many chances with the university and then it's like, goodbye. <laughs> we- yeah. Like what if you go into your immigration thing and you're feeling sick someday and like break wind in front of the person and it's like, oh, well, next year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Was- Don't go partying the night before or whatever. So, okay. So you get over to Fort Collins and how long were you in Fort Collins by the way? Two years. Two years. And then how long were you in Athens? About six years. Quick question. So before you came here, what was your perception of America? Did you come here to like tour or anything before you moved? So you just moved straight. Whenever it's been a pattern of my life, yeah. basically. You go, you go, yeah, you dive head first. Yeah. There is no like, oh, let me like test the water, stay a week or nothing. Like even when I was in India, when we moved to Mumbai, we moved to Mumbai. There was no visit. There was nothing. Uh, when we moved, when I moved to Fort Collins, first time in America, first time in Colorado, first time in Fort Collins, moved to Georgia, first time in Georgia, moved to Wisconsin, same thing. So um, it was a good, it, it didn't feel, I think everything happened so quickly. It didn't feel like I was leaving home until like a few days later. And you're like, oh, I left home. Is it, I feel like in a way I kind of respect that more. Cause it's like, it's like when you, if you know, a pool's kind of cold. And you walk around and you're like looking at it and you're like, oh, God, it's going to suck to jump in there or whatever. It's better to just jump in. You know, if you think about it, do you, you were just like, fuck it, I'll learn it when I get there. What's right. going to what's going to like I I'm going. So whatever. What's the point of like fretting about? It? I kind of I respect that. I respect that. Uh, so what was what did you hear? What was your perception of America? I'm not even talking about Fort Collins or Georgia in specific, but just America as a whole before you had ever st- stepped foot here. I thought it was nice. Like a lot of freedom is what I had seen, heard. All my references, of course, were from friends 
and from what did I watch a lot? I watched Castle a lot. I watched Friends a lot. <laughs> Wait, the one with uh, Nathan Fillion. Yes, okay, yes. I know what you're talking about. I know and you're talking about Stan Akatic. Yeah, okay. loved those two detectives. I thought people were very friendly, and and I was very interested in trying the cheeseburger. Oh, okay. That's the American brand. That's that's our biggest export, probably brand the cheeseburger. Even though I think it's technically we, German. Yeah, because we don't have cow meat in India. So. Oh, that's I didn't. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Didn't think about that. Um, and what was your biggest surprise when you got over here in terms of like what you may thought versus like oh that's not what complete opposite of what I thought like the biggest lie or misconception that you were surprised to find. I think because I first moved to Fort Collins, um, I was first wondering where are all the people because it's such a small town. <laughs> and I moved from Mumbai, which is ten times the population of New York. I was like, oh my what, God. "What happened to all the people?" And everyone smiled at everybody going down the street. And I was like, "Why is everyone smiling?" Were you at like me? suspicious? Because <laughs> you don't smile in big cities in India. Because then you're like. First of all, people will be like, do I know you? And if you're like smiling at the opposite gender, it's like, what are you doing? Like, what do you want from me? Um, I was very surprised at how polite people were and how inviting and warm. But also we were in a university. So I was very sheltered, I think. Uh, it was a university environment. Did you like going from dense people being everywhere to isolated and, and a lot more free space? Or was it kind of like adjustment, getting used to it? like? I know people who lived in New York or were raised in New York or whatever. And the crazy screaming on the street, that's like ambient noise to them and they love it. You know what I mean? And if they moved to the country, they would lose their mind. So did you like it? Were you like, this is amazing. Or was it kind of off putting at first? I think at first I was very, um, I think I felt like the New Yorker. I needed more noise. The first night that I slept, it was so quiet. I had never, had an opportunity to hear my own thoughts and I could hear my thoughts. And I, that was very unnerving. So I asked my host family to give me a fan so I could like hear it. Like oh, yeah. some white noise and all that Some white noise. And I could hear like the cicadas at night. I saw like Fort Collins is beautiful. And the place that I was living at was even more beautiful because universities just make green spaces available to individuals. And, um, yeah, my first meal in America was Subway, and I just didn't know how to order one because my host family wanted me to be independent right away. And they were like, oh, just go choose your meal. And I'm like, in India, they bring us, like, food or they, you know, they, they're more, we're more spoon-fed, I guess. But at that time, I think Subway wasn't a thing in India in 2011, I believe. And now that I go back home, everything's there. Like, there's no difference except, you know, 10 times a crowd, but... Um, yeah, so my first one was like, should I get that? What is I was going to say, what did, do you remember what you ordered? Yes, it was like a chicken breast sub. I, I definitely ordered that. And I think that was like a big nudge after like 10 minutes of just looking at that. My host family was like, I think you should order that one. Because <laughs> I was very confused what all the meats were. And then I'd never seen food just lying around like that. Because in India, you... For food safety purposes, everything's made in the kitchen and then they bring it out. There's no like, hey, I want that, that, mixed with that and that. The only thing that's available in a glass case like that is sweets because they're preserved and, you know, there's no hovering of flies. They, they last longer. And, yeah. Well, here we just pump them 
full of so much preservatives. You can, Correct. nothing ever ages or goes bad. Mm-hmm. Have I told you my pizza story? No. Okay. <laughs> I got, this is a side one. I'll probably end up editing this out, but it was my favorite. This made me look at food. Compl- like there was a before and after of this piece of pizza for me. Uh, when I used to work at the dorms in uh, at UWM, long story short, you know, we were in our twenties, a bunch of idiot dudes fucking around all this stuff. We always get uh, hot and ready's from Papa, what's it called? It's the little Caesars for, you know, we were college students. Whenever we had like a Christmas party or something like that, we get all that. Anyway, one of these uh, parties, we take a piece of the little Caesars pizza and a hammer drill, which you can like drill into concrete. And we fasten it to the ceiling of the parking garage. Like we like drilled a, a screw through the pizza into the ceiling. So there's just a piece of pizza on the ceiling. Now that pizza stayed there for a good decade. Uh, there were people that I knew that kept working there and would like periodically send pictures and stuff. And it was there for like a year or two when I was there, never went bad, never molded, never rotted. It stayed looking the exact same the entire time. And after a while I was like, Oh, I'm never eating that shit again. Cause that is not food. Food goes bad. So probably cool to like come into a subway and like see a bunch of food out. It's like, but it's probably, you know, I, I'm more skeptical than ever of, you know, it's funny. People are like, Oh, what's in the vaccine and all that stuff. It's like, what's in Red Bull? And like, what's in all this shit that you put in your body without question? Cause what like there are some fucking that? insane things in our food that we don't even think about. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so that was Fort Collins, uh, two years of my master's did that, learned a lot, um, had a lot of said a lot of yes, because I was always like, Oh, there's a thing over here. You want to go? Yes. You wanted that? Yes. Because I think I was just curious. And at 22, I was, because I'd mostly always stayed at home. I don't think I had a personality of my own. I was always a shadow of my parents. They always were like, oh, you should be more outgoing. Like, don't do that. I'm like, how? Y'all are literally the spotlight of this family. So it's hard to blossom when you have such big floodlights around. It's like, oh, okay. Their beliefs were my beliefs. Their religion was my religion. All that you know, very mirror shadowy, sheltered life. Mm-hmm. So then I really started to understand how I interact with people. How do I want to set the tone in the world? And um, Becoming perps. There you go. Yep. What are your parents' names, by the way? Uh, Stepna and Probeer. Stepna and Probeer? Yes. Shout out Stepna and Probeer if you're listening. Shout out. Uh, that's okay. Okay. Well, let let, let me think. Do you have any other questions on this? Uh, a little bit about green cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what, they last what, 10 years or two years? I forget. And then you renew. Renew. Okay. That's what I thought. Is that a, uh, there's, I know there's a bunch of different types of them. I'm, I would assume you're on like the school one or the. Right. Just the PhD one. Is that, so is the green card when you were contemplating moving and all this stuff and you were saying all the difficulties that come with it it's because of the green card right correct just changing addresses and paperwork and all of that so it's trying to avoid because i just applied to renew it for the next 10 years so um they put you on a probationary period of three years when you first get it and then they give you the full 10 years that you can keep applying and changing and doing whatever so my, my thought was once I get that, then I can move because I want to not go back with like, oh, here's my new thing. This is that. And then uh, having to send them address change, which I can do, but it's just a hassle. I think I'm just making excuses for not moving. Also, it's nice to not move because I've, since I've 
almost 10 years. I'm coming up on 10 years in America. I think I've moved every year. I literally have moved every year. That's my 20s right there. Right. So I... Moving sucks. Mm-hmm. It just does. Mm-hmm. Not even, I mean, like adding a, a green card litigious thing to it. It's already a shitty process. So I can't imagine and having to do it 10 times. Oh my God, that's that's. And they're very slow. So I just didn't want to add What, more the government things. and bureaucracy being slow? What? <laughs> So I think I didn't want to add more time to this process. I just need the renewal to come in quickly and then I can live my life, which I'm living my life, but I just didn't want to add more on their plate. And then yeah. they're like, oh, so you move from here to here. Tell us why. And it's like, no, it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Have, <laughs> you know? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and building equity, yeah. oh, contributing to society, all that She's stuff. Paying all my taxes. Gosh. So I'm going to let's look, I got one more question about this. What would you say are some of the, actually I got two questions. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that Americans have of the immigration process in general? What, what do we have? I think that this conversation, we don't have it honestly or responsibly in this either side because our news works. It's a very complicated situation and we have three minute news segments. So we never talk about it openly and honestly and I would just like to know what you think is the biggest thing we need to stop saying, misconception, thing we're looking at wrong. What would you say is like the biggest thing America gets wrong about immigration? I don't know. Well, I'll probably reiterate what a lot of people have said, that immigration is not cheap. That's the biggest thing that was eye-opening for me every step of the way it's a lot of money if you're i don't even know like how people ask for asylum here when they don't have any money like how does that process get funded because at every step of the way i've had to spend thousands of dollars on application fees lawyer fees it's not easy of course a lot of people know that misconceptions i think a lot of things have just been talked about I think also it's very, um, it's not transparent. If you do get a rejection, why is a very, apparently it's very dependent on the person interviewing you. So if you got up from the wrong side of the bed that day, oh, God, that's, freaky. Like, that's yes, that's very freaky. It's almost like a, like a parole officer or something like that. Like what if you get stuck with a dick or something right. like that? And it's just arbitrarily no rhyme or reason. They just don't like you or something like that. Right. I think I'm the wrong person to really tell you about the hardships of it because of, you know, my family's like middle class. And so we, we were fine. We had money. I got a good education. So it wasn't like I was, you know, I really had to, I struggled of course, but the real, real struggle where, oh, I'm getting rejected one after the other. It was basically a straightforward process for me, but it was obviously a lot of very minute details that you have to make sure you look at it. So patience, Details, organization yes. is is the key to every. And then, the, by the way, that and the price thing, I, I never hear that talked about. So that is, a, I would say that's a good answer okay. and misconception right okay. there because yes. I don't think anyone ever talks about that. And there is like, when you ask how do a lot of these people afford this stuff, well, the answer is a lot of them don't and they don't get in. And that is the that's, critique of, of a lot of our immigration laws shame. where it's like, like a lot of things in this country, you can't do anything without money. And immigration right. is part of that. Not to say it doesn't happen, but... 
you know. Right. And I think the other thing is also um, the value of lawyers. I think lawyers are really important in this process. Whoever is immigrating in whichever status or visa or whatever, please get a lawyer because they are, of course, trained to do this as their bread and butter. Despite having a PhD, um, for about three months trying to apply for a green card, I was like, oh, I'll do it. Like, how can I, you know, I'm educated. I know what's what. I know how to fill in the blanks. But there are so many little, like, you know, uh, extra forms that you have to fill out based on your personal case. Nobody talks about that. So get a lawyer. I know it's expensive. And then some lawyers do it pro bono, too. Get a lawyer and talk about it with your friends. Talk about it often. I've always believed that if you want something and, and if you're getting stuck somewhere, people sometimes just don't like to talk about it. They're like, oh, you know, it's my problem. Why talk about it? I think I go the opposite and it's benefited only me. I don't know if other people use this technique, but I talk about it often. When I was looking for a job, I was like, I was talking about it constantly, like shamelessly. And um, I guess somewhere something clicked and I got a job. So same thing with immigration. Like every time I would think here, even like someone got a green card, someone got this, that they would, I would talk about them like, hey, what was your process? Did you, because this tip of getting a lawyer was told to me about this random couple in a random bar in Athens, Georgia, who were friends of friends of friends. And I don't even go biking in the summer at 110 degrees in Athens, Georgia. I went out biking, met my friends who were biking. They were like, it's too hot. Let's go to a bar. They met their friends who just finished their green card process. So through that circle, I got to know that don't be stupid, get a lawyer. Yeah. That's a good rule in general, just in America, because rulers are rulers, uh, lawyers and accountants kind of run this country. But also, Shout out. There are a lot of good lawyers out there, specifically immigration lawyers. Shout out to the ones who do it pro bono. Central Legal, downtown Milwaukee. Some amazing people down there. Uh, So that's a good place to end. Um, Very interesting. I learned a lot on that. I'm kind of embarrassed how little I knew about that going before going into this. So thank you for that and being, you know, willing to talk about it and all that stuff. So we will be back for the most serious uh, topic that we have today. This one's going to get heavy and, 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 and really going to get into it with uh, bark. What I call it? Bark, bark tank. tank. Bark tank. Yeah, there we go. How the fuck did I forget that? And we'll be right back. Like concepts or something? Concepts, okay. Yeah. All about it. Okay. Cooper, you ready for that? Hey, we're back. And now it is time for the first ever bark tank. All right. Ooh, I like that. Do a little, do a little bark take intro. intro. I'll edit it out. Okay. Just do something. I don't care what. Yeah, right. I like the wolves. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. I'll, I'll I'll add some music or something. And we're back. All right, uh, we're time. We're doing Bark Tank. So let me pull up my list of notes here real quick. So I'm gonna pitch out some random stuff now. Can you just quick again go over your your degree mm-hmm. and some of your focuses and what your job is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my terminal degree was a PhD in polymer fiber and textile science. And as part of my dissertation, I uh, studied 
biodegradable plastics that were uh, made by algae. And um, previously, my thesis in my master's was on um, starch that could be extracted from two Colorado native plants and could potentially be used in textile printing. So like in screen prints and all of that. Um, they were trying to have, US, it was a USDA granted, um, USDA funded grant where they were trying to have some value added uses for uh, these two crops because they're not really food crops. They're more like they're there. What all can we do with it? And then, um, yeah, so I've done a lot of like protective textiles. I do a lot of um, things in like yarn processing, fiber processing. For my job, I look into construction and job site PPE. So I help quality. Personal protective equipment. Yep, there you go. Um, so I, I help the company kind of look at materials, be it fiber, uh, fibers, textiles, yarns, foams, um, and help them like kind of understand what are their options, what's the good one, what's the bad one. So can you give an example, the one that you always were telling me about, uh, what was it, the coat with the radio in it, or it was a heater? What was the coat that the you were- The heated jacket. The heated jacket, yeah. Right. So stuff like that. Right, well, heated jacket's in a different business unit, but ideally everything textiles would be under one. But um, I look more at um, safety products like face coverings, face masks, high visibility vests. During the pandemic, she brought the best Milwaukee tool mask. My dad is obsessed with those, man. He's like, he lost his like a week ago. And he's like, ah, I can't go back to, I can't go back to those other trash masks. I was just like, oh, those ones are nice. Well, he doesn't need it anymore. He's, he's, he's vaccine, but yeah, so it was good timing. Okay, so. I'm going to start with some silly ones here. So she's a, she's a materials girl. She's a material girl living in a material world. (laughs) Sorry, I had to do it. Uh, Okay. I don't know if you know this one, but I'm going to start with this one. What is the bounciest material known to man? Like if I wanted to make a a bouncy ball, the size of say like a workout ball, what would I use? You would use a rubber, some kind of man-made rubber. Anything that has a lot of, um, like a spring coefficient almost. So you would you would use rubbers and uh, rubber-like. Like substances. a galvanized rubber, like, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, something that's, uh, like, yeah, galvanized rubber or synthetic rubber, like polyurethane, all those good things. Are there any other materials that you're aware of that would be described as bouncy? Some gels are bouncy. Okay. So Like, what are we talking, like a, like a gelatin? Gel. Oh, silicon, okay. Yeah. So this is leading me to, have you ever seen the movie Flubber? Yes. You know the scene where they put the little things on the bottom of the shoes and it's the only way to make white people able to jump? Right. Yes. So they win the basketball game with that. Is there any possible way to make that mathematically work where you could bounce on your shoe besides using like, you know, those moon boots? Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's using springs. I'm looking for a material that like, that actually turns your feet into a bouncy ball. I'm sure there is. Okay. And, and we can synthesize something too. Okay. Well, first off, Milwaukee Tool, get on it because you got a customer yeah. right here. There you go. And finally, I could dunk for the first time ever because oh. I have like a two inch vertical. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Okay. So you're saying this is not improbable. Is it? So it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. But just, well, I guess you're not a physicist or a physics 
major, but like, would that even work? Would it, would it bounce? I don't, I, too much I mean, weight. I, what I can see is, um, you would have a button where you would store this. Ooh, and I like you're already as, getting design. Okay. I know. As soon as you want to make that dunk, you press a button and it like shoots it out and you make the dunk. And then it somehow like goes back into the compartment and you shut it out. Oh, so they won't even know then. Cause then they'll just think I can jump. Yeah. Won't they get suspicious though, that I'll have to do like a prep jump first. Like I'll have to jump once and then I bounce up. Like it would be a very non-natural. I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man had to, he had to practice. So you practice and. I look great power comes great responsibility. So that's fair. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm glad that my dreams are still uh, in play here. All right. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple other things here. What about I'm going from bouncy to impenetrable. Okay. So if I wanted to make a bulletproof t-shirt, what is like the thinnest material you could do that is also flexible? Is that just Kevlar or is there stuff beyond that? Like I have read stuff about how presidents, like some of their suits and stuff are like actually bulletproof. Yeah. How the hell does that work? How is something so skinny and so strong? It's because, so with bullets or any projectile, the main problem is dissipation of heat. Like even if you wear a bulletproof jacket, you still get burns. So you do, there are certain um, materials. Yes, it's pokey. Sure, it's going to like poke me. Oh, yeah, you'll hurt, but you'll save your life. So you can make a certain fabric with, of course, Kevlar and it's... So that's what those are. ...members. Yes, there are also very... Now you can make like Kevlar or like fire um, resistant like t-shirts and they work perfectly fine. There are bulletproof materials that are like really thin and yes... And I think what it does is dissipates the heat really fast. The weave is really tight. So the tighter the weave, it's going to really, really block. Yes, it might not be very breathable, but that's where, you know. Oh, so you're saying I'd I'd be sweating a lot. I'd be safe from bullets, but not from heat. So you might, yes. But I mean, I'm a sweater away, so. Do you want to die heat or bullet? You know, you choose your poison. Yeah, we'll we'll see. What what, what about, first up, can you? Expand a little bit about what Kevlar is. Is it a it's a it's a synthetic, right? Correct. So it is a synthetic. Kevlar, basically, why Kevlar is so strong is because it has these aromatic benzene rings in it, is what makes the polymer chain so um rigid and robust. It was invented by a woman scientist, by the way, in DuPont. Yas Queen. Stephanie. Klobach, she's one of my favorite scientists. There you go. She um, invented Kevlar and its family of aramids. They're called aramids. And what you, do you know why she called it Kevlar? I'm not sure. It's she a great question, it, though. Yeah. She called it like Stephanium or something know, like that. I know, I know. She's just, you know, woman power. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, I think it might have been a corporate decision, too. Because she worked for DuPont and she invented it. Oh, yeah. She can't really... Say no more. That totally makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, But yeah, so I think... Okay, yes. Back to Kevlar. So the reason why it's so strong is because there are a lot of these benzene rings that protect um, you and really make that polymer um, bulletproof. Can you please... Again, some of this stuff is... I am not smart about any of this stuff. So please expand on what a benzene ring is because I do not understand that. It's... um, I'm sure people have seen that ancient thing about like a snake biting a tail of a snake that's biting a tail. It's, oh, yeah. That's how the scientists who actually discovered the um, the molecular structure 
or chemical structure of benzene thought it up because he, it was not making sense to him. He kept like, he took a thing that he clearly know, knew benzene was in it. He didn't know the name, of course, but he was like, I know there's this material that is strong. So ben, so air, they're from the aromatic family. So anything that you smell has a fragrance. Uh, there's a lot of, not benzene, but aromatic rings in there. So, but he couldn't come up with a structure. He was like, what, how, what? it's not making sense because it's double bonded and it's got all these things. Like, how can you make it? Because they, they would only write chemical structure linearly. They didn't think of like, oh, maybe it can bend and like all of that. And then I think he either, as, as far as I remember, he probably dreamt it up or saw it in nature where it was like, oh, this thing biting its tail and then that thing biting its tail. And he was like, oh, so maybe that's what that is. And then he quickly converted that into covalent bonds. So basically you're saying because the bonds, the way they have it structured, it strengthens mm -hmm. just because of the inherent structure of it. It's almost like that breakthrough of on a, on a microscopic scale, but kind of in a similar way, like the people who figured out how to link chain link fences together Correct. in terms of like security and stability. It's kind of like that on a very microscopic level. Right. Okay. And also it has this, of course, um, you have ionic bonds and then you have covalent bonds. Covalent bonds are stronger than ionic bonds. So again, having the strongest bonds that are available, having that structure, and then being reinforced with um, benzene and then straight chain, benzene, straight chain, that's what makes Kevlar such a strong and robust fiber. And okay, so this is all leading to what my actual pitch is. So if... Have you ever seen the show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. Do you know who Green Man is? Is he the guy in the green suit? Yes. Okay. So one of those all-body spandex suits. If you got one of those made out of Kevlar Ooh, okay. and you just sent him in like, all right, we got to go take down Osama Bin Laden. And you throw him in there, just one dude with a knife, but he's got a Kevlar full-body jumpsuit on. How much damage could a dude take with a Kevlar, you know, full suit on? Because you're talking about dissipation of heat. The bullets don't pass, but it would still knock him out or something, right? Yeah. So he's he's, he's not an Iron Man if he's wearing no, this, right? He's okay. Have, you'll okay. need for that kind of protection, you'll need metal, you'll need other more robust. When you talk about that green man suit, of course it has a lot of spandex. Spandex is not bulletproof. We can't so here's the trade-off discussion of Kevlar. It's not a stretchy fiber. Mm -hmm. When you are trying to make it more pliable, more like fit to your body, the fact that you want to do different motions, run around, you need to have a little bit of stretch in there. So you'll have to add another fiber content or maybe modify the chain to make it stretchy. But guess what? That will make it not bulletproof. Okay. Okay. Damn. So, I really, I really thought I could come up with a uh, superhero outfit here. Yeah, well, but superheroes, when you look at their outfit, they've got a fair amount of fabric. Just the vital portions of their body is covered by metal or some kind of composite. Now, let's talk about composites. So, is that? I was just about to ask. So, is that a composite? Is that something like, say, what Batman's mask would be made out of? Absolutely, like a yes. carbon composite or okay. something like that. So, here's what. Um, Wait, a carbon composite because. Diamonds are just compressed carbon, right? Correct. So Batman's mask is kind of almost like a, a shade. If it's a carbon, what'd you say it was? Carbon composite. composite. So Batman's mask is kind of like almost like a diamond mask? No. Okay. Because um, what is a composite? A composite is basically a matrix, and then you sprinkle in 
fibers in it, like textile fibers or any kind of fibers like carbon fiber. You have Kevlar fiber. Take polyester, take nylon, take silk, cotton, whatever you want. Make them really tiny, tiny bits of like probably like less than one millimeter, that tiny. And then you spread it into a matrix and the matrix and the fiber together act to strengthen that material. Oh, so it's like uh, when I put my... When I did the floor in my basement, it was the silicone thing. You had to pour in the catalyst and the whatever the hell it's card. Right. And then the chemical reaction turned into a permanently hard thing. Correct. That, okay. So that's a composite. Gotcha. With diamond, it's more like pure carbon. It's compressed. So composite doesn't mean compressed. Composite means a amalgamation of different materials that come together with their best features and give you the property you're looking for. What is, if you're building, say, a tank or a you're building Batman's car is a carbon comp. What is the hardest material that you could pop on earth, planet earth? If, if don't talk, don't worry about quantity or price, but what would be the most indestructible thing on planet earth to build your bat Batmobile? I, I don't know if it's practically possible and I don't keep up with like, which is the new hardest material, but I thought maybe titanium was pretty hard. And of course, diamonds are pretty hard material as well. But practicality, again, is it going to mold in that way? Is it going to, you don't want just a hunk of a thing. You need it to mm -hmm. shape certain ways. You, you want to integrate it with electronics. You want a headlight. You want all these other features. So practically, probably a carbon composite or a Kevlar reinforced composite, something like that would be nice. But like, if it's imaginary, then yes, you would want like, some metal, like really heavy metal that's gonna like dissipate all the energy really quickly. So okay. I, I never really thought about the heat or energy disper uh, dispersion. Yeah. Disper is it dispersion? Is that the right word? Dissipation. Dissipation. Thank you. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, you've, you've answered my, my superhero ones. I got like two other, two other ideas. And then I want to hear your, your concepts that you want to uh, put out into the world. Um, I want to talk about, these are more like, I have a couple side things, but I don't know how much you know about, there's two things I want to talk about. Solar sails. You know much about solar sails or familiar at least? Solar panel. And I know about. No, not that. solar sail or not solar panels, solar sails, specifically like space travel, solar sails. Are you familiar with that concept? No. So sail, solar sails to the best of my ability or to the best of my knowledge is the idea of us going past Mars or like beyond out of our universe or whatever. Uh, one of the biggest things, I mean, there's a million things that makes it very hard scientifically, like, you know, density of bone density. Time is one of the biggest things. Solar sails are th the theoretical solution to that. So how it is, it's kind of awesome because it's very sci-fi steampunky in a weird way. It's kind of like a pirate ship. It's using like an actual sail and how it works is the, the energy that comes from the sun the heat, it's like instead of wind, it's 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 using that energy to push itself. And in space, there's no friction. So you exponentially get faster and faster. You start slow and slow and slow, but you never stop gaining momentum. So by the time you reach a certain speed or whatever, you just continue getting faster and faster. That is conceptually how we would get out of our own universe and how future space travel might be. They've even had solar sails. And I think like the newer Star Wars, I had, I think they had some solar scale ships and stuff like that. So my question is, and you may not know the answer to this, but like what, what, what type of materials would be capable of this? And I have a side question about solar panels, but I want to hear this too. 
I know in grad school we had a group in polymers work on dyes that absorb solar energy that basically you can dye a fabric and it's going to absorb solar energy and then if you're able to take that energy and store it somewhere in a battery or something like that you can basically harvest the sun's energy so i'm what i'm thinking with my limited knowledge and scope in this area i'm thinking of um, a really highly conductive um Fabric. So what are in solar sails, what is actually happening? Like, why is it actually going so far? Um, like, why? how is the speed coming? That's basically my question. So it says, I got to look this up because I'm not smart enough to answer this up. It says uh, it's the photon, light sails or photon sails. It's a useful analogy. Same what I said before about it. it's basically a... a a sailboat. High energy laser beams could be used as an alternative. Uh, no, hold on. Let me get to where it says it actually does it. Blah, blah, blah. Since they have few moving parts and use no propellant, they can potentially use numerous times for delivery of payloads. Where's the actual math on this? Because um... something, somehow, the solar energy is getting converted into actual like velocity, like speed of the machine. And that's where I think maybe they're storing the solar energy somewhere, or is this just hitting the sails and it's... Here we go. How does solar sailing work? Light is made up of particles called photons. Photons don't have any ma mass, but as they travel through space, they do have momentum. When light hits a solar sail, which has a bright mirror-like surface, the photons in that light bounce off the sail, i.e. they reflect off it just like a mirror, and the photons hit the sail, their momentum is transferred to it, giving it a small push. As they bounce mm -hmm. off the sail, the photons give it another push. Both pushes are very <laughs> slight, but in the vacuum of space where there's nothing to slow it down, each push changes the sail right. speed. So, shiny. You just got to have really shiny, shiny material. What's super cool about that, too, is that's going to look sci-fi and awesome as hell. Just me That's literally Darth Maul's ship. Basically. Oh, yeah. It, really, yeah. it literally is. There you go. Yeah, yeah so... Not what I was thinking. So you're going to need something extremely reflective. And, you know, you can use aluminum. You can use so many different fibers to actually make that sail super lightweight. And, you know, off you go. All right. All right. Now we're cooking with gas. Uh, kind of related. There was a I, I saw this on a show like 15 years ago. And I just read an article of the first town. I think it's in like Norway or something did this. There is this idea of there's a polymer that is used for solar panels and what they're doing instead of having like solar farms like a factory where they're doing it they're replacing the roads as a polymer with the solar stuff underneath it so the idea being that the entire city all the time when you're driving on it first off it reduces uh infrastructure maintenance because it's it lasts way longer than concrete and, you know, it's more water resistant. And then B, you're literally getting energy. And I, I have read that there's a town that's already done this. What, what, how, can you, uh, you kind of touched on the last thing. Like, how do solar, so you're saying it's just a, a polymer that harnesses the energy from the sun? It's, Basically, it's just storing the energy. So light energy gets converted into stored energy. And then, like you said, it's powering the city. Okay. So it's acting like a solar panel. And... There are a lot of polymers that are highly conductive and that's the property of it that you're taking. It's almost like, imagine heat conduction, but in the form of light. So same thing. So it's trapping that energy in it and then 
you have batteries or some kind of storage capacitor which will store all the energy. So here's the the bark tank idea that you got to get on. Make one of those shirts with the polymers that suck up the thing and then a cord that comes out of it that charges your phone. So you can just like be walking down the street in the summer. Hey, charge my phone while I'm doing it. There you go. There we go. That would sell. Hopefully it will still cool you down while you're charging your phone because that that thing can get really hot, I would think. Because it's because the sunlight, it has UV rays, it has IR, it has all these things. So not only are you capturing photons, you're also capturing heat rays. So that's the other trick. Like, you know, I know a lot of these ideas are fantastic, but (laughs) I, I know for a fact that there are certain other user needs that need to be considered when making these things. So I'm sure there's a way around it, but yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Well, speaking of other great ideas, I want to, I want to hear some of yours because I have, I have one or two others, but we're getting, we're getting a little long in this. And I think we might do this segment again at some point, because I want to come up with more inventions at some point. So let me hear some of the ideas that you, you, you said you wanted to put these ideas out into the world of, of things that needed to be solved concepts, not technically inventions, but more concepts. There are some uh, inventions too, but uh, I think they're they're coming out of my own day-to-day frustrations, which I know a lot of these are being studied in universities and there's some kind of like, you know, manufacturing level readiness, like two or three, but we need to get to five or six to actually put it, push it out in the world. Um, So one thing that I really hate is waste and especially food waste and any kind of like waste. And I don't understand why bottles of, let's say, ketchup or shampoo or conditioner don't have a coating on the inside that completely um, helps you remove all the product out. Because there are... Oh, I like that. There are so many coatings that we make that are being studied by universities that have shown proof of concept. But why is it that these big um, retailers or whatever, what do you call them, like consumer good companies like Heinz or PNG or all of these, like when you have oil or all these other things stored in bottles, because I, even toothpaste, even well, toothpaste. Can I throw out a, a reason why uh, they don't have those? It's intentional because they don't want you to get everything. Because uh, I remember reading something about how dentists got together and like the advertising that they do for dentists the dentist council or whatever the hell it is, they all agreed like you should put more of it on there because that means 60% more toothpaste people buy toothpaste more often. So if you're saying about, yeah, maybe every bottle of ketchup you have, there's 15% of it left on average that's thrown away or whatever. Heinz does not want people to start getting the last 15% because that's 15% less ketchup that they are selling. So there is a probable, well, I don't know this for sure, but it wouldn't shock me if companies are aware of this and they're like, fuck that. We're going to lose 15% of the ketchup that we sell. So there are so many things in this world that I think are fixable and they're not fixed because somebody is making money off the worst way to do it. And the only reason it's still being done the worst way is because someone is intentionally stopping it. Right. Um, Speaking about your last topic, roads, I know we can now make roads that last 100 years. We don't make it because for the silly reason that then we're going to lose or the labor force is going to go away that knows how to make these roads. Mm-hmm. So that's why we intentionally make weak roads. So every 10 years or every five years, we have to repair them, replace them. And that way we can keep having a labor force that knows how to make roads. And I'm like, 
We are not an efficient world or maybe a pragmatic world, but yeah, uh, yeah that's very frustrating. I, I agree with you. I hate waste and we do so much of it. Yeah. So, so, un- so much unnecessary and not even unnecessary, like I said before, intentional. Yeah. I end up like either... My worst thing is with glass bottles because with plastic, you can cut them open and, you know, all that. There's toothpaste also you can, like, cut them open. There is a very good – okay, I have a toothpaste invention for you that I've seen. There is a clip thing. I think Joe, my buddy Joe, showed this to me where you, like, put it on the end when you start it and then every time you roll it or whatever and it gets, like, 100% of the toothpaste out. It was like It's like a 30-cent clip that I've seen. So you should get one of those. Look online. I guarantee you you find one. Like, Indian moms have come up with the rolling pin technique. So oh yeah, it, I like you that. Just I like roll that. Roll it out with a rolling pin. And- this is like uh, I always like my, my grandma. You know, she's 102, and uh, so she's you know Great Depression era, and yeah, we waste so much. Like she back in the day, like when she ate an apple, she would eat the whole apple, whole apple. corn all, yep. and it was just like that's what you do. And like you know, the broth, and like when she'd eat chicken or something, like down to the bone, oh. every scrap of meat is off of that thing. And we're just like, eh, half of this wing throw right. away or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. The second one I think is uh, self-healing clothing because a okay. lot of our, um, you know, we have a lot of, again, I think going back to waste, a lot of textile waste. And it's probably because, oh, there's like a rip here in a very inconvenient place. Hold on real quick. When you said self-healing clothing, I was like, Wait, you're going to turn me into Wolverine? Oh, you're talking about the clothes, like, repairing themselves. Okay, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well. No, no, I, li- no I, li- I like this. I just misunderstood you. All right, keep going. Keep going, though. Well, Wolverine could use those clothes. He probably rips them apart. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, he's already then, got the body part. He needs right, the clothes. Right. So, have a little rip, have a little tear here and there. Uh, a, not a lot of our generation sews. So they're like, oh, we'll just wear it as is or have self-healing clothing where it's like if there's like a rip somewhere, like a seam somewhere, the whole shirt or the pant or a sock or whatever is great except that one little thing. And yes, this will take away like <laughs> like the whole idea of stitching and seamstresses and all that good stuff. But I think... Trying to put these people out of work. I know. I know. Any any invention puts the, something know. out of work. See so. it? Someone's trying to stop progress. There you go. But we so have, how, how does this work? Are you talking like little nanobots or something? Are we doing so like... Uh, is there a polymer that does something like that? There are three ways of self-healing. Three different polymer classes do this. And they have three different techniques. One is more uses heat. So you just like rub it and it self-heals because... Uh, it changes phase from solid to liquid and then, you know, fills oh, up that okay. gap. Yeah. And uh, when, as is as a shirt, it's going to be a solid. But when you have a rip, certain catalysts in the polymer gets activated. And then it's like, okay, I need to like fill this gap. And then there are two other techniques that I did not, like I'm not super familiar with, but there are three different major like umbrella self-healing polymer techniques that uh, happen and. I am curious when it's going to come to mainstream clothing like Zara or H&M is selling. So that way. Well, well, they probably don't want it though because you rip your clothes. You want to no, buy they, You got to buy a new shirt if you rip I your know. clothes. We got just got to get better. We, we as a society got to move away from fast fashion and get better. But that's my other frustration. It's like every time I have a nice dress and got a little rip and I'm like, oh, I'm not a seamstress matching yarns and like trying to make it better. The last one, I think I saw that we have one now, but every time, sorry, mom and dad, I get high, I'm like, I on need life. food. <laughs> on life, on yes. life. Um, I want food. Why is there not a restaurant that's a cannabis restaurant? 
Like literally. I think there are a few. I remember reading something about Mike Tyson was going to open up a cannabis resort in Vegas. So that's a resort. I'm saying like you go down the street and oh, you're there's saying like, like a restaurant. Are you saying where everything in the food, like an edibles? Re- okay. No, it's more like you go there. You like, you know, your first, almost like a hookah bar, but like okay. a cannabis bar, a restaurant actually where they serve you like actual bud and you're like rolling stuff up and you're smoking with your Oh, like in Amsterdam. Up. Okay. Right. And then, you know, the cafes, the yeah. cafe already has food and everything. And I think Colorado in 2019 got its first cannabis or the country got its first cannabis restaurant in uh, Colorado. So um, looks like this place called uh, Lowell Farms. Okay. It has a cannabis cafe, which is licensed which was in 2019 licensed to basically serve cannabis uh, and food all, you know, because I, I think it's, it's a great idea. Guess what? You're you're absolutely so much food. It's an exploding industry. Shit. I I love it. There actually, there is a place, I think it's out of Colorado, but there's one now in Madison and I think there, there used to, there was used to be one in Milwaukee called Chiba Hut. I don't know if you ever heard of Chiba Hut. Yeah. Not where you can go in there and smoke weed, but all it's a weed themed chain and all their sandwiches are like funny weed names and they have like desserts and stuff that are just like Wright's Krispies mixed with like the the highest stuff that you can think of. And same thing goes for like, of course, other like legal drugs. I I think Mellow Mushroom is very psychedelic, right? They're... Mellow Mushroom? Mellow Mushroom. Oh, do, y'all don't have Mellow Mushroom. Right? I don't even know what that is. Mellow Mushroom is a pizza chain. I think it's, in Georgia it was a thing. I think it's outside. I've seen it in There's Colorado a psychedelic too. pizza chain? Um, That's they, dope. Well, the theme is they put no psychedelic Well, yes, yeah, pizza. yeah. <laughs> but there. That would actually um, taste like trash because as much as I have enjoyed mushrooms, they don't taste good. <laughs> that pizza right. would be awful. So their uh, interiors and everything is very... Um, groovy and psychedelic colors and very hippy dippy. So, I mean, if they were able to serve um, psychedelics in there, that would be kind of cool. So I'm surprised they're having, I mean, I, so I was just in Detroit and I, you know, you stop at the dispensaries, they have, they have edibles and stuff like that, but it's, it's kind of across the board. I'm waiting for bakeries to own up, to open up that are like specialty weed food, like, really nice cakes that get you high or like, you know, that's gotta be a thing that's coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my last one, but I think all these three things are some come out of some frustration of mine. And I really do believe in that saying that one of my favorite podcasters, she was talking about like, you know, how people are like, Oh, follow your passion. That'll give you like your purpose in life. And like, that's how you'll get your preneur. Like you'll be an entrepreneur. She's like, no, most businesses start out of frustrations. Like you're pissed off at something. You see a need. You see a need and you're like, no one's doing it. Fuck it. I'll do it. So yeah, these three are my major frustration. Not the cannabis part, but at least the first two, because I'm so focused on avoiding waste uh, in my life currently. Uh, So it's always frustrating to be like, I could have gotten that last bit of whatever. And same thing with clothing. Of course, I wish I came with sewing skills, but. That was, that was something I thought about. Well, I tell you what, when I get my, uh, my Spotify deal and I'm, I'm worth $300 million, I will finance all of your, uh, your startups. Cause I, I, I like your ideas. And I think that especially the waste one, yeah. that shit is infuriating. It really is. And we yeah. do it so bad. And yeah, it's yeah. just, and it's not good for us. It's not good for the environment. It's, <sighs> just, it's 
it's catching up to us too. I mean, we, we're the ocean's dying. I mean, like you know, we just got too much shit. There's too many people. People take too many shits, throwing too much stuff away. It's just it's a waste culture. So I like that. And uh, yeah, we're gonna do this sec. We're gonna do this segment again because I already got like during this segment four other ideas that I want to run by you. What do you know about uh, hydro? What are they, what's it called? The stuff that that keeps water off makes your water resistant stuff. Hydrophobic. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, oh, there are amazing leaps and bounds in that technology. Okay. There is something called this omni hydrophobic, which is not just for water. It's for like any liquid material you can think of, like acids, alkalis, like gosh darn oils. And although it's like, also, although it says hydro, um, it's omni liquid. Okay. It's omni phobic. It, it repels everything. This, that's a tease for the next one. I'm going to come up with some hydrophobic inventions. That's what we're going to do. All right. Well, this has been very fun. We got the uh, adventurous Superba and the Celestial Cooper uh, signing out here. Coop, you got anything to add? You got anything to say? They're good. Yeah. Okay. Controversial hot take there, Coop. I, I don't know. You might get canceled because of that. But uh, thank you so much for coming on, Superba. It was a lot of fun. I hope you're uh, on many other future ones. We'll do some more Bart Tanks, and uh, you'll be hearing her voice probably as part of the intro. So uh, thanks for everyone for listening. Yeah, I'm Bruce Sidney Benjamin. Us. I learned a lot. Like, I think we made each other smart. Hopefully people who hear this think, you know, uh, get smart as well. Like I appreciate together, that. Together we get smarter. Well, anyone who listens to this podcast is already a very smart person because they tune in. I mean, that just shows their intelligence. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't forget to <laughs> like subscribe rate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Do that dance. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everybody. All you got to come up with a name for my, my listeners, my talking heads, the, the good landers. I don't know. We'll come up. We'll come up with an audience name. That'll be on the next episode. All right, everybody. Be good to each other. Gotta come up with a closer too. Later.